Amen. All right. So Philippians chapter 2. And before we get going through this passage, just one thing I wanted to mention. In verse 6, uh, or verse 5, um, verse, verses 5 through 11, I personally think, just in my opinion, that what we see here in this passage is probably one of the greatest passages that's explaining Jesus and what he did that's in all the Bible. I love where it says in verse 6, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, <clears throat> and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you know what? A lot of people, they have a problem with us talking about a Jesus-only salvation but you know what? Jesus, first of all, he's the only one who paid for the sins of the world. Jesus Christ is the one who left heaven, who is made in the likeness of man. I mean, nobody will ever be able to match what Jesus did in humbling himself. It is literally impossible. None of us are capable of stepping down as far as Jesus did because we're already too low to begin with. We don't have that far down that we can even step. And so no one will ever in any way, shape, or form match the equivalent of this. And so because of that humbling himself that he did in a way beyond any way that it could ever be done, we see that God has exalted his name above every name. God has exalted Christ because of the fact that he humbled himself the way he did. And so at his name, every knee shall bow. It's every, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I do, I just, I love this passage of Scripture. I've heard a lot of message, great messages on it. And there's a lot more messages that could be preached on it. We will never be able to fully wrap our mind around how Jesus Christ humbled himself. And the title of the nice message is, Be Ready to Be Humbled. Be Ready to Be Humbled. This is something that God expects from us. It's something that, once again, Jesus did. He doesn't ask us to do something that he wasn't willing to do himself, that he wasn't capable of doing, that he did not actually do. He has every right to do that from us, and we ought to be ready for this. And, you know, that's something that just kind of aggravates me, and, and I, I hear this a lot, especially from the Fox News Baptists. I, I've, I've heard some of these Fox News Baptists get it before, and they'll talk about how Trump, you know, like he left the pleasures of being a billionaire, you know, to be the president. And it's just like, you know, first off, uh, and, and they will, they'll talk about it like it was just this humbling thing. Because you know how much money it probably cost them? Well, you know, who cares? He's got still got billions. He's still got billions. So, yeah, I'm sure he probably did lose some money. You know, I'm, I imagine it might have hurt his business. I, I don't know. But either way, you know, he's still doing just fine. You know, and they will, they'll talk about him like it was just this, this great, humbling thing. You know, he could have just kept enjoying being a billionaire. He could have just kept, you know, taking care of himself. But no, he decided he was going to serve our country. And he was going to take the thrashing from the Democrats and from the news media and CNN. And, you know, look at what he did, man. You know, and I know he's not perfect. I just can't help but think that God brought him for such a time as this. And I hear them saying that kind of junk, and I just think, really, you guys want to talk about Donald Trump? You're going to get up in church, and you're going to talk about Donald Trump stepping down from billionaire to president of the United States 
when we have Jesus to talk about, who stepped down from heaven to not just even be a carpenter on this earth and to be poor on this earth, but to die for our sins. And you're going to waste breath talking about Donald Trump in that situation. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely disgusting. And I'm going to tell you, this has nothing to do with the message. This is why I almost like it better when Democrats are in office. Because when Democrats are in office, all of a sudden, Christians become more anti-government, which is always, you know, which is good. And they start, you know, depending on God. But now when we get, when a Republican's in office, you know, we're all good now. You know, don't you dare say anything against the government. They all are flag-waving, patriotic. It's absolutely disgusting. It was better when Obama was in office. Oh, but look at how well our economy is just thriving and doing right now, you know, thanks to Donald Trump. You know, I mean, I, I don't see that big of a difference. I mean, I'm hearing the numbers and all that, but you know what? You know, there's still other people that have what I don't have. <laughs> nobody, nobody, nobody's made it all. Nobody's made it all equal, which is fine. I, I don't, I don't want socialism, but I don't want to get on politics. But I just, I get sick of that stuff, man. I'm just, I'm so fed up with it. But there, there's so many sermons that could just be preached from the first 11 verses of this chapter, and they'd all be appropriate. You know, I, I've, I've preached on this chapter a lot, but what I want to do, I want to make sure we see exactly why Paul wrote this, why he brought this up. And, you know, how it was supposed to help those people at that time. Because, to me, this is where the greatest message is in this. You know, I think the way Paul preached it, in the situation where he preached it, is probably the best that's ever been preached. You know, we often take things like this, and and it's appropriate to do this. We often take passages like this, and we apply them to our, our situation, and we kind of get inspiration from them. That's fine, that's appropriate, but let's look at why Paul preach this, you could say, to the Philippians back in this day. I, I think there's some, and I, and I think we'll find out when we see why Paul wrote this when he did, when we see their situation, you know, we're going to find out that, man, our situations are nothing, you know. And so let's, let's start reading verse 1. It says, if there be any consolation in Christ. If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So, first off, why did they need consolation? He said, if there be any consolation in Christ. Why do they need consolation? Well, we see in the last chapter, what we saw last week... Paul is in prison during this time. They are under persecution. They've been going through a lot of really difficult times, really difficult things. So they needed real consolation. You know, they didn't need consolation because somebody was just saying bad stuff about it. You know, they needed consolation because they were actually being, I mean, really physically persecuted. So keep that in mind. Uh, Notice also how he didn't want them being like others who were preaching Christ of contention, but he wanted them being like-minded during this difficult time. Because remember last week when he talked about how some preach Christ, Christ of contention, hoping to add affliction to my bonds. And he's saying here in verse uh, 1, or in verse uh, 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Okay? He's saying, listen, don't you go out and preach 
Don't you go out spreading the word for that vain glory. We've got some guys that are out there right now. Thank God they're preaching. You know, if Christ is being preached, but they're doing it, just, you know, wanting to get a following for themselves, you know, hoping to make themselves look good with their big crowd. You know, I'm glad they're preaching Christ, but you know what? Don't you do it for that reason. And you know what? There's people out there that, you know, that, that's kind of the motivation. They do. They want the big church. They want the big following. They want to be able to big, build the big buildings. They want to look good. They want to impress their fellow preachers. They want to be liked in the community. And, you know, while all those reasons are wrong, you know, I'm still glad they're preaching Christ. You know, we can go ahead and be thankful for them. Just because we don't like their motives, you know, doesn't mean we get to just bash everything they do. Uh, and no, it's not act like in the new IFB where you always go from not liking something they do to reprobate, you know, and zero, you know, it's just Im- immediately. It's like, no, people can do stuff that we don't like, stuff that we don't agree with, and they can even do stuff that's actually wrong. And they're not all the way reprobate. Not all their works they do are all bad and all evil. They're still doing some good. Okay, and so, you know, just, you got, you got to watch that stuff, all right? You got to watch that stuff, that, and it's like, anytime we want to preach against anything anybody's doing, it's like people feel like it doesn't count unless we can call them a reprobate. It's just like, no, sometimes people are just wrong. Get over it, and just, you know, show us how it's done, all right? But anyway, not, so not only did he not want them competing, but he wanted them to esteem others better than themselves. And I don't think he's saying this too necessarily just as far as with that local group or that congregation. You know, we often apply that, hey, we ought to esteem each one in the church better than ourselves. Well, you know, I think if we um, look at the application Paul's making here, I think we should probably say this too about other churches that are preaching the gospel. You know, we don't always have to pretend we're the greatest thing that ever happened, we're the greatest church that ever existed. We don't need to be like Adam Fannin before he was exposed, talking about the new IFB like it's done the greatest works probably since Pentecost. <clears throat> Wrong. Okay. And he, he would talk about, you know, like the mega marathon that we did. It, you know, it was like nothing, nothing's ever been done like that, you know, since the apostles. Wrong. You, you know, the mega marathon that we have every year, you know what that resembles? It actually resembles a Saturday 20 or 30 years ago in the Baptist world. In fact, it was, it's only a fraction of that. 20 or 30 years ago in the Baptist world, most churches were out soul winning and getting a lot of people saved. So our annual event of the mega marathon was just a Saturday in the Baptist world many years ago, and that's on a small scale. So, you know, and that's the thing that, the, you know, the clown fans need to understand. And, I'm, and I saw him the one time on one live stream, Pastor Anderson corrected him right there. He's just kind of like, hold on. <laughs> and, and these guys that are like that, that have this attitude, like the new IFB is just the greatest thing that's ever happened to Christianity, are all people that have not been in Christianity very long at all. And that's why they think that, you know, they've maybe or maybe they came from some liberal watered down church and then they found this. And so they're just brand new to the Baptist world. But we're not the greatest thing that's ever happened. And, you know, we've got a long, long way to go before we should even start thinking about that. And I don't really think we even should think about that even if we do become the greatest thing that's ever happened. 
That will probably be the thing to sabotage everything real quick. How about we just esteem others better than themselves ourselves? You know, that that's the attitude that we ought to have. But you know, we always gotta act like we're the greatest and talk ourselves up. That's not biblical. That's wrong. Verse 4 says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You know, look for ways to do something for other people instead of looking for ways to prop up yourself. And that's why we do these things. You know, that's why we've got to, you know, declare the, you know, ourselves the greatest and all, all these different things. Because it's just trying to prop themselves up. And I remember, too, when we were playing the first mega marathon, some of the guys were talking about how, like, this was going to be the biggest thing that ever happened. You know, and I was, like, trying to remind some of these people, hey, did you ever hear a Great Commission Sunday that was they did back in, like, 2001 or 2002? I was like, there were hundreds, maybe thousands of churches that participated in that. First Baptist and Hammond headed that, that thing up. And I, I can't remember the crazy amount of people, number of people that got saved that day. I think I remember, what's that? 68,000? Yeah. 68,000. Yeah, it, it, was, it was a crazy amount. I, I don't remember. And I mean, I mean, a ton of participation. But once again, people, they do, they just, they forget that stuff. You know, let's, let's not figure out how we can prop ourselves up. Let's just promote Jesus Christ. You know, that, that needs to be the attitude. Verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And I like how it says that too, because being obedient unto death, that's pretty good right there. Okay? Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. But let's think about the death that Jesus died. It was a long, painful death, but it was also a humiliating death that he died. You know, it's one thing to just get your head chopped off or to be hung or whatever, but to be just to 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 be to hang there nailed to a cross for hours while people are spitting you, spitting on you and mocking you when you are capable of doing something about it. Boy, folks, we'll never understand that. We'll never be able to mat, come close to matching that in any way. You know, there's many people who have died for the cause of Christ, but they couldn't stop it. You know, there wasn't, they didn't have the power to defeat all these people. Jesus did that, have all that power, and yet he still took it. We'll, we'll never, in any way, shape, or form, be able to match that. So you know, keep in mind here, the Apostle Paul, he's telling us, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And he's bringing up exactly what Jesus did. And it says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's telling them this to let them know. Okay, now, and get this. Why is he saying this? Is he just giving a, a wonderful, eloquent, you know, doctrinal dissertation on what Jesus Christ did in humbling himself? I mean, he did do that right here. These words, I mean, are just wonderful words that he's saying here, but he's saying them for a reason. He's saying them because uh, he's trying to inspire them in the situation that they're in. So here they are. Think about this. Okay, I want you to get this. They are being persecuted right now. The Apostle Paul is in prison, 
So you could say their group is especially being targeted. In the meantime, you've got the more watered down ones probably that are now ex using this situation to exalt themselves. They're preaching Christ of contention. They're, they're trying to keep Paul down. They're hoping this work they're going to do is going to discourage him. And so you could see how it would be very tempting, and it would be very easy for this group to say, you know what, let's go ahead and compromise some. I don't want to go to prison. I mean, these other people, they're still doing some good works. They're not all bad. You know, they're not all reprobate, even though everybody in the new IV has been calling them reprobates. But at the same time, they're not all bad. Why don't we just do what they're doing and, you know, we'll be, we'll be better off. Because, you know, who wants, to, who wants the shame, who wants the stigma of going to prison? Who wants the shame of going on trial? And being condemned and having everybody say bad things about you. Who wants the shame of you sitting in prison and knowing that the other Baptist church down the road is going to be saying bad things about you? Saying they're bringing reproach to the name of Christ. Who wants that? You know what that is? That's called humbling right there. And he's telling them this here to let them know that none of them are too good to go to prison. None of them are too good to suffer and die for the cause of Christ. Understand, and I don't think we realize this, you know, you and I being Christians, especially if you grew up in church and you went to Sunday school, you heard the stories of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, you heard the stories about the martyrs and the people who died, and we've always been taught that it is a glorious thing. Okay? We have always been taught that being a martyr is a glorious thing. We know that. Okay, We've got that in your head. But here's the thing that nobody talks about when talking about martyrdom. This, this, is, what, this is what nobody brings up. This is something that it, this was not talked about when I was growing up and I heard all these stories. Because this is a very, very important thing. Now, now think about this. Who wouldn't? Okay, you know, who, I, I hate to bring up Hollywood. Remember, anybody ever see the movie The Robe? It's about the centurion who got Jesus' robe, the one who ended up getting saved. But anyway, at the end of the movie, you know, he's standing there before uh, Caligula, the Roman emperor or whatever. And, you know, and he takes his stand for Christ and ends up getting sentenced to death. And then his, the woman that he liked, she ended up declaring herself to be a Christian too. In the end, they're, they're marching off. And they kind of go walking off in the sky. But before they do that, you know, there's a lot of these Christian people that are kind of standing there, you know, watching them, you know, cheering them on, kind of. And it's like, you know, that would be an awesome way to go. You know, imagine if here you are, you know, you're on your way to your death and you've got all these Christian people watching you. You know the Christians all got your back, you know. I think that would be pretty easy. But you know what would be, here, here, that's not usually the way it goes. Usually the way it goes is all the Christians are bashing you. They're all criticizing you. They're all acting like, hey, this is right. He's a fake Christian. He's not one of us. Let me tell you, whenever this kind of stuff goes on, the Christian community doesn't, the Christian community doesn't usually have your back, and they didn't in this situation either. They're glad that Paul's in prison. And, you know, and there, here they are cheering him on, trying to do, you know, prop their thing up, hoping to add affliction to his bonds. That right there is a humbling thing. And listen, mark it down. When the tribulation comes, 
It's very clear. We're going to be betrayed by others. People we thought were Christians. You can't be betrayed by the homos. We never expected good from them. It's going to be supposed Christians who are betraying us. It's going to be our families that we thought were saved. They are going to be the ones betraying us and turning us in. And they will be cheering it on. Mark it down, folks. The, the mainstream Christian community will be cheering on our deaths when, it, when that time comes. We will be put down in every way, shape, or form. Every Christian magazine, every Christian television show will be talking like we're fake Christians, like we're bad things. And we, when we, when we leave this world, we will be looked at as the scum of the earth. We will be hated. There will not be a mob out there cheering for us. There will be a mob of so-called Christians holding up signs saying Jesus taught love and tolerance. You know, Jesus wouldn't do this. You know, Jesus is ashamed of you. That, that, that's exactly what's the way it's going to happen. That's the way, and that's the way it's always happened. And many people, they can't handle the thought of that. It is, it is humbling to be bashed, especially by supposed Christians. And that's what people are terrified of. And the Apostle Paul, he's telling them, you know, we are not too good for this. We should not be ashamed of being hated or of going to prison, nor should we be ashamed of those who do. It says in 2 Timothy 1.8, Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Do you all hear that? You know, we should not be ashamed of those who are being persecuted for the cause of Christ today. We, and you know, I'm not ashamed. You know, we shouldn't be ashamed every time. You know, why is it that every time we see somebody on the news for preaching against homos, it's one of our friends? You know, I'm not ashamed of that. But a lot of people are. You know how many Christian people there are that know me? That when, I, when, we, when it was our church that was being attacked? I don't know that guy. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm not like him. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm against sodomites, but I, I'm not like him. You know why? Because they're ashamed. When they see these guys on the news, all oh, these guys are just—they're—they're they're taking it too far. You know why? Because they are ashamed. They're cowards. You know, and we're not going to do it. We're going to support these guys. We're going to continue to support our friends whenever they're being persecuted, and I'll—I'll—I'll I'll, I'll support the old IFB. If they ever get a backbone and start preaching against these guys and stick to their guns. But folks, people today, they're scared to death. I've got a message on my answering machine. You can listen in there. You know, back when we were all getting attacked by the homos, I just started putting all these clips out there of other pastors preaching the same thing. Other Baptist preachers. Now, most of these clips were kind of old. Because it's not as hip and popular to preach against the sodomites today. And I did one of, of Charles Lawson preaching from the Bible that they are worthy of death. I didn't say it. God said it. I mean, he's with fire preaching. And let me tell you something. That clown, that, that coward, Charles Lawson, when the heat came, finally came, when a pastor in his own town is being heavily persecuted, when a pastor in his own town loses his job, all of a sudden, I've always said you're welcome here. I mean, we'll roll out the red carpet for you. This stinking coward. And then, on my, on my answering machine, it's still in there. 
some goofball from Michigan. I'd say his name, but I forgot what it is. He put his name on there. He calls me up demanding I take that video down because it misrepresented Charles Lawson. No, it didn't. There was no misrepresentation there. Now, why would he care so much that I had a video clip of Charles Lawson preaching the truth about homos? You know why? He said it in there. He said, I'm afraid this type of thing, it's going to bring, you know, unnecessary persecution our way. And right there, my friends, is what they're afraid of. They're scared of persecution. They're scared of the negative media attention. And so they're backing off. They're backing off because they don't want to deal with the shame. Because let me tell you, this is what happens. This is, it's been this way forever in the old IFB. Whenever the videos do go viral in the past when it was, the stuff was happening to them, nobody backs them up. Oh, well, that guy took that a little too far. So he, he used one little phrase in there that I wouldn't have used. So I'm just going to distance myself from them. You know what? They were ashamed is what it was. They were ashamed, and it was because they were scared it would happen to them. And you know, we are not going to be scared of that. We're not going to be ashamed if there's another church out there preaching the truth that we're friends with, and they're getting protested. That if they make the national news, and they're getting put down, you know what we're going to do? We're going to stand with those people, and it doesn't matter what the persecution comes. Because the Apostle Paul, he told him, he said, don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. He said, you know what he said? Be a partaker of the afflictions. Amen. So, you know, you know, when Pastor Fritz was getting hammered, you know, I changed my profile picture to picture me and him. You know, I don't care. You know, I, I'm, I'll publicly stand with guys like him. You know, I, I'll, you know, whatever I got to do, you know, I'll, I'll put the clips of me preaching the same stuff out there. Why? Because I, I, well, aren't you afraid that we might get persecuted too? You know what? I'm not ashamed to be partaker of the afflictions. And that's where the old I of B is. They, they're not going to stand with us because they don't want to be a partaker of the afflictions because they are ashamed, not of our testimony. They're ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. The stuff we're preaching is right out of the Bible. But yet, oh, well, I wouldn't have said it as mean. Okay, it's because you're a different person. You know, but the truth is, it's not about how we said it. It's about the fact that persecution's coming. And they're scared of persecution. And you know what? These cowards like Charles Lawson, they can, they can drop dead for all I care. Guy is just a sniveling coward, and he proved it. When the heat came in his own town, he's, practically, he's inviting homos to church. A bunch, I mean, just, I, I, I'll never understand that type of thing. But, you know, Charles Lawson, he got a little bit of, you know, internet popularity. And a lot of it started because he used to preach hard on the homos and stuff. But, you know, now he's got his nice building, they got their nice stuff, and so he's going he's gonna to back off now. He's going to take it easy. And, you know, I will say this about Charles Lawson. is. Bad as he is on his doctrine, as wrong as he is on repentance, as whacked out as he is on dispensationalism, as stupid as he is with his crazy conspiracy sermons he preaches, that he doesn't even believe, that he just uses for clickbait, you know, he's preaching about hollow earth and stuff, he doesn't even believe in it. You know, he, but yet, at the same time, you know, you know why he's popular? He's got one thing going for him. He does have an epic voice. 
I wish I had Charles Lawson's voice. Okay? But that's it. That's it. He can have everything else that he is. And he can take it to hell with him because that's where he's going with the type of doctrine that he preaches as messed up as he is on salvation. But, man, I would, I would like to have his voice. He can make anything sound interesting. And that, that's why he's popular. And so you got a bunch of people out there in the world today who love entertainment. And he's entertaining to listen to. Yeah, and he's easy to listen to. And so, yeah, you know, you know they eat that, that stuff up and it's gone to his head. And he's a compromising coward at best. He might, you know, I think he's just a full-blown damnable heretic that's on his way to hell. But it's possible that he's just a sniveling, compromising coward. That, that is at best. All right? I, and I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. And so I'm going to be nice to Charles Lawson, and I'm just going to stamp a sniveling, worthless coward that compromised on his forehead. And that's being very, very generous. So anyway, uh, but I'm not, I'm not ashamed. I'm not going to go hide from my friends when they go... Get on the news for saying something, even if it's something I wouldn't necessarily have said. Well, you know, I, I wouldn't have said it that way. You know, I mean, you know, when the sodomites got killed down in Orlando, I wasn't really happy when I heard about it because of the fact I knew they were going to make heroes out of them. I knew that this tragedy was going to be used to take more freedom and to promote perversion. You know, I mean. I wasn't sad about sodomites being dead, but it was just like, I just like, I could see how they're going to use this to an advance an agenda. So I would have said that a little bit different, but is there anything wrong with what Pastor Jimenez said? No, no, I'm, you know, just, I would have been, I'd have said it slightly different, slightly, but at the, at the same time, who cares? You know, I, I, I you know, it, it doesn't really matter, but the cowards would have been like, they they just said, well, the, I wasn't glad part. I disagree with that. You know, and so I'm not going to stand with them. Well, just be honest. You weren't glad because you were afraid it was going to take some of your freedom. But you were glad <laughs> that there were 50 less <laughs> pedophiles in the world. We all, we all felt that way. We were glad a Muslim finally went after people like them instead of innocent people. You know, you know, there's there's no doubt about that. So, uh, where was it? So yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna be ashamed of our fellow laborers. So verse 12 says, "Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure." Now we already talked about this verse last week. This is not talking about soul salvation. This is talking about physical salvation. And notice what he said, because remember I told you. All that that Paul just said about Jesus and that great passage about Jesus, he is saying this to let them know that they are not too good to suffer and to die for the cause of Christ. And he says here, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Did you know that if God wants us to die for his glory, he has every right to do that. We've got nothing to say about it. We've got nothing to complain about. 
We're not too good to die for the cause of Christ. If Jesus Christ was able to leave heaven and to die the way he did on the cross, we are not too good to die being hated by the world, being mocked by the Christian community, being hated by the Christian community. All the way to our deaths, we are not too good for that. And we need to just get that. And, and if, it's, if it will be of his good pleasure to let that happen to us, then so be it. If it be for God's good pleasure to allow me as a preacher to just get thrown into prison for the rest of my life and for the Christian world to just forget about me, if that's for God's pleasure, if, that will, if that's it according to his will, I'm not too good for that. I am not too good to sit in prison for the cause of Christ for the rest of my life. If I do that, I've not stepped down farther than Jesus did. I've not humbled myself more than he did. I hope that doesn't happen. But if it does, I've got nothing to complain about. And, and so, um, you know, so verse 8, yeah, well, we were, I already proved last week how that's not talking about uh, spiritual salvation. But now look at verse 14, what he says. So after he's basically telling them, you're not too good to die for the cause of Christ, go to prison or whatever, you know, God's just, it, it's, you know, God working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Then it says, do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Now, I've preached messages before, do all things without murmurings and disputings. And I've used this passage. But you, what do I talk about? You know, hey, you know, we ought to go to church without murmuring and disputing. You know, we ought to you know, give our tithes and offerings without murmurings and disputings. You know, we ought to, you know, all these easy things that we have to do. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote this, and that's, and that's all appropriate to apply that. But the Apostle Paul said this to a people who he was telling, you might have to go to prison. You might have to die. And do it without murmuring and disputing. That's pretty, you know, that's pretty convicting right there. I guarantee every pastor that's pastor for any length of time has had to get up and preach from this passage of Scripture because people in church were murmuring and disputing over just trivial little things that don't even matter. But the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this, he wrote it to a people who may die for their faith. Now, we ought to keep that in mind. When you understand that, doesn't this verse pack a little more of a punch? Man, it's like, man, I don't, I, I don't really know if I want to complain about some of the things I was wanting to complain about. I was thinking about telling the pastor that our pews aren't comfortable enough. But, you know, the Bible does say do all things without murmurings and disputings. And as strongly as I felt about this, seeing what they went through back then, I probably shouldn't say anything at all. In fact, I probably shouldn't even think about it. You know, but that, you know, that's, that really says a lot when you look at these things in context. So, verse 16 says, Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So, Paul's work in try, is trying to get these people to grow in Christ. It would have all been in vain if they gave up. Okay, because first, here's something we got to remember too about the work, you know, working on people, you know, this labor that Paul does. Paul talked a lot about laboring with people. The labor, the real labor, it's not with getting people saved, but it's with getting them to live for the Lord. You know, getting people saved, it's not real hard, but getting people to live for the Lord, it's very difficult. It's a big job, and it's an important job. 
And it's one that we all need to do. You know, as, as a pastor, that's part of my job. But as church members, that's part of your job, too. You know, and trying to get, not just get people saved, but then trying to get them to start living for Christ. And that's work. It's, it's a lot of work. You know, in many ways, it's easy to go out soul winning. I mean, you know, especially, you know, if, if on, you know, not in the wintertime so much. But, you know, on, on those nicer days, it's nice to get out with a brother in Christ and walk the streets and knock doors. You know, sometimes it's discouraging, you know, if you're in an area where people aren't receptive. But even if they're not receptive and nobody's knocking, you get good fellowship during that time, don't you? And it is kind of relaxing. You know, sometimes it's nice for, for me, too. Sometimes I just, I just like getting out there and... You know, it's just me and one other person and yes, you're just fellowshipping and just, you know, it's nice being out walking, being out in nature. It's better than sitting in an office or working in a factory or things like that. And, you know, but the real labor is getting people to live for the Lord. And so, you know, he, he didn't want these people giving up. Because he didn't want all that labor to be in vain. Hey, I've been working on you people, hoping you're going to continue the things that I've taught you. That you're going to go and you're going to bring more people to Christ. Don't let this persecution, don't let this tough time that we're dealing with make you give up. Because remember, he which hath begun a good work and you will perform to the day of Jesus Christ. This work you're doing, it matters. It's going to last. It's going to make a difference. So don't give up. So... Uh, verse 17 says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ, but ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to, pr- to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I suppose it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and that he ministered to my wants. The Apostle Paul was thankful no matter what happened to him, he knew that Timothy would take up the mantle of Paul. Now, Paul goes on to say in here, I believe because of what you've done, because of the work that they had done advancing the gospel, shaking things up, making a difference. The Apostle Paul was convinced in his heart that he was going to come to these people again. He, he did. He believed that he would come to them again. And I believe he did. I, I, you know, he didn't die in prison during this time here. But the Apostle Paul, at the same time, he's saying, even if I do die, even if I do go down, Timothy is going to keep doing what I'm doing. My labor will not be done. The work will go on. And that I, I know that's my desire. I'm not going to live forever. But I hope the work that I do lasts forever. That means I've got to train some people. That means I've got to get some other people prepared and ready to go. It means we got to, you know, I want the work of Liberty Baptist Church to go on forever. And this church itself may not last forever, but that's why we want to start other churches too and send as many people out as possible so the work goes on forever. And it it was a very comforting thing for the Apostle Paul to know that he had Timothy that was going to keep going. 
During this time, he sends Epaphroditus to him, a brother and fellow laborer. But he did. He believed he was going to shortly come to them again because they had made a difference with the work they were doing. And then in verse 26 says, this is why he sent Epaphroditus. He says, for he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that he had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So notice here, the Apostle Paul, once again, I mentioned this last week, he had a lot of very close friends and fellow laborers that were, I mean, absolutely necessary for him. And Epaphroditus was one that he loved so much that when he was sick and about to die, you know, the Apostle Paul said, I'm, you know, God spared his life partially for me. Otherwise, I would have had sorrow upon sorrow. He's already in sorrow because of the fact that he's sitting in prison. And then for him to lose a fellow laborer like that, it would have been a great deal of grief for him. But God ended up sparing his life. And he ended up being able to send him back. And notice Epaphroditus, he cared about these people in Philippi so much. He, wanted, he was anxious to be the one to go be the messenger. He wanted to go back to them to let them know that he was okay because he knew that they were sorrowful because of the fact that he was sick and nigh unto death. And he knew that they could use a boost, that they could use some encouragement, and he knew that it would be encouraging for them if, they would, if, they, if he was to go back there and they were going to be able to see him again. Notice how everybody that's you know, with Paul and everyone he's talking about, they're all thinking about each other. Isn't that amazing right there? And, you know, look, look how dependent they were on each other. The, you know, there were no one-man shows here. There was no one person just trying to be this standout person, you know, this superstar, just trying to get a following for themselves. These, this was a group of people that were looking out for each other. And it was during a time when they needed to be looking out for each other. And I, I just think that's an amazing thing. And so, God, as a result, you know, God was merciful. God spared his life, partially for Paul, partially for the people at Philippi, and, you know, for Epaphroditus himself. You know, that's why it would do you good to be a blessing to other people. You know, if you're just being a blessing to other people, the Lord might need to prolong your life and keep you around. It's like, man, you know, that, boy, you know, I, I need to take so-and-so out of the church, you know. But, you know, Brother Austin, you know, I kind of had a plan for him to die at a young age. But, you know, he, he's so important to the church, I can't let that happen. Think, you know, think about that. You know, you know he, he's making such a difference. He's impacting so many lives. I need to keep him around so the work will go on even more. But, unfortunately, most people today, they could drop dead and it wouldn't affect a thing anywhere. It wouldn't affect anybody. Well, I don't want that to be me. I'm, I'm going to drop dead one of these days. One, one of these days I am going to die. And I hope when I do, I hope that it's a bad thing. You know, I hope it's a bad thing when that happens. You know, I hope when I drop dead, I'm not such a pathetic, vile piece of filth that I'm the type of person like in the Pulse nightclub shooting where it takes days to figure out who you are. You know, and that's how it was for a lot of those people, you know, because they have to go in these places secretly. And then, two, nobody wants to go. And like, I think one of my family members might be, you know, who's going to do that? 
And I think that's how how it was for a lot of the family there. You know, nobody wants to admit, I think I had a family member in a place like that. And that's why it took so long to identify some of the people that were killed. And I don't, when I die, I don't want to drop dead in some wicked place doing some wicked thing where all my family's ashamed to even come, you know, look for me because they're afraid they're going to find me there. You know, what a horrible, I mean, I mean, think about those people. Their lives already were just a waste and were just a waste of oxygen. And then they died and nobody's even looking for them. It just shows the type of people that they were, and it shows that's the type of people that are out there. We don't want to be that way. But that's, what, that's the way you're going to die when you live for yourself, when you're all about yourself. You're, you're going to die not making a difference at all, not having any kind of impact. Don't let that be you. And so this was a great example of how much Paul loved Epaphroditus. It was because this man was a fellow laborer. He helped. That needs to be you. That needs to be everyone in here. You need to be being a blessing to other people. And if you get sick, you're going to have a bunch of people praying for you. And maybe it was God's will to take you out. But now he's like, you know what? I'm going to just keep you around. For everyone else's, for everyone else's sake, and I, I think that's a great testimony right there, and that's something we all ought to shoot for. It would be in your best interest to put everyone else's interest before your own, like the Apostle Paul said to do. It's always in your best interest to do what God says to do, and to not be selfish. If you want to be selfish, just do everything God says to do. Now, that's the real way to get it done. Okay. And you say, yeah, but I might have to give up some. Yeah, but you're going to get more in heaven. You know what it's called? It's called having faith. It's called, it's called having faith, believing God's going to keep his promises. So verse 28 says, I sent him, therefore, the more carefully that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. So Paul's sending a close friend, someone who's a help to him, someone's a fellow laborer. But again, the apostle Paul is looking out for them. He's not thinking about himself, so he sends them to them. Why? Because he just wants them to be able to rejoice. He wants them He wants them to be less sorrowful because them being happy is going to make him happy. Paul, thinking about others again, receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service towards me. His sickness was a result of him doing the work of the Lord. He almost died from doing the work of the Lord. And he says, not regarding his life. This whole crowd, I love it. They're not thinking about themselves. It almost sounds like Paul, the Apostle Paul is preaching to the choir. When he's saying, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Man, and folks, we ought to follow this, this attitude. This ought to be the way we are. We ought to have that mindset. And listen, not just with us in our own local church. Okay? We ought to have this mindset with each other. But even when it comes to other churches that are out there, the churches that we're friends with, the people that, that are fellow laborers, you realize that it is our job to get the gospel to the whole world? Okay? And since we all can't be in the whole world at one time, anything that we can do to support people in other parts of the world, we ought to do. You know, that's why, you know, I go to places like Canada and just 
You know, I can't be there all the time. I don't want to be in Canada all the time. But you know what? I will gladly go there and try to encourage those that are doing the work of the Lord. You know, I communicate pretty regular with people in different uh, different places in the country that are doing the work. Some that are just trying to you know get work started, just trying to encourage people and and to help them however I can. I'm planning on taking some trips in the next year to some different places just to you know kind of help strengthen the brethren in any way I can. Why? Because it's our job to get the gospel to the whole world, and we as a church we don't want to just get this attitude too. Uh, well, it's just about Rock Falls. It's just about Rock Falls. No, we ought to be willing to sacrifice too and give to other churches, give to other ministries, give to, give to missionaries in foreign countries. You know, our, our church ought to be fine with letting me every once in a while, you know, miss a service here or miss a Sunday to go be an encouragement someplace that might need it. And, and you know, th- because we're thinking about other, other people. We're thinking about other places. And so if there's something that we have that someone else can use that can be a blessing to someone else, let's do it. You know, let's be, let's be looking out for other people. And so it was Epaphroditus who was going to be delivering this letter. And he was someone who was already practicing what Paul wrote to these people. He was sick. He almost died as a direct result of the work he was doing for the Lord. And, you know, we should never ignore the sacrifices that our fellow soldiers are making every day or the sacrifice that others have made in the past. We don't need to forget those things. We are not better than any of these people, and we ought to be willing to give it all for the advancement of the gospel. But understand, that is often going to involve being humbled. That, and in this day and age, that might involve being on the news and having bad things said about you. You know, it might involve being accused, even by own family members many times, of being in a cult. You know, I imagine a lot of you probably heard that before. I'm getting, t- I'm getting tired of hearing it because you know what? It's like if this is a cult, this cult stinks, all right? You know, I, I don't have... None of the power that a lot of cult leaders have. You know, most cult leaders I know usually have a lot of money too. So it's like, I'm the biggest failure in the world if I'm helping lead a cult. And it's just, and it's, and it's not fair. Because too, some of the people too that like accuse, that have, some churches that have accused us of being a cult, some pastors have accused me of being in a cult literally have churches where they monitor who tithes. They, they'll revoke your membership if you don't tithe. They won't let you go to the business meeting if you tithe. They have Christian schools where people in the church are paying, you know, for tuition on top of tithe and all these other things. They have handbooks telling them what they can wear, where they can go. They have to force their staff and the people that are participating in different ministries to go soul winning. I mean, they exercise great, a great deal of control, way more. Have I ever made you all, have I made anybody in here sign a paper saying that your wife and your daughters won't wear pants? Have I done that? You know, a lot of Baptist churches that cause a cult do that very thing. Have I ever, you know, tried to revoke it? Have I ever monitored your tithe and, you know, hey, 
called you up. It's like, um, we've noticed you guys have been short. Have, have I ever done that with anybody in here? No. You know, some of the people that call us a cult do that very thing. You know, do we have your kids, you know, in here under our control and our supervision, you know, five days out of the week? Well, places that call us a cult do. You know, and how about this, too? Do we have any of you, before you're going to, like, go out of town or uh, spend the night somewhere, check in and sign in and sign out like they do at Bible colleges? Think about that. That's what they do at Bible colleges. They got to sign in. They got to sign out. Now, I get that. I get, I get why they do some of that stuff. But how is that not more like a cult than what we are? You know, isn't it amazing? But yet we get called a cult and, and they feel completely justified in doing it. Why is that? Oh, because we actually get negative attention from the world while they're flying under the radar. And so they can get away with that because nobody's paying attention to them. Nobody's doing news reports on what they're preaching or what they're actually practicing and what they're actually doing. They don't get up from the pulpit and live stream them, you know, talking about signing, you know, having people sign a paper saying their wife won't wear pants. But they hear us on a live stream showing from the Bible that a woman should not wear that which pertains unto man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all do so are an abomination. And then we get the negative attention. Even though we don't enforce any of it on anybody. We tell you, this is what you do, and it's between you and God. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? And you know, I don't care if those people don't see the reality. As long as you all know the reality, that's all that really matters. But just understand, everyone who calls us a cult is a hypocrite. End of story. So, that let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. I pray to help us to learn from this, Lord. Help us to re- always remember, the Lord, there's, we cannot step down far enough, Lord. There's no way we can humble ourselves in an equal way to what you did. And so I pray you'll help us to do all things without murmurings and disputings. I pray you'll help us to remember those and always stand with those who are, are doing the truth, whether they're being persecuted, thrown in prison, whatever. Help us not to be ashamed of that. Help us not to be ashamed of your testimony. In your name we pray. Amen.